Recently, I had the privilege of being on Echo Zoe Radio. Echo Zoe Radio is a member of the Christian podcast community and a friend of mine for many, many years. I've been had the privilege of being on his show many times. He has a monthly show where he interviews guests on different topics. Always an engaging discussion that he has. I encourage you to check out Echo Zoe Radio. And I happen to be on this episode to talk about the topic of presuppositional apologetics. I hope that you find this helpful, and more importantly, I hope you find this to be something that helps you to feel that you can have the confidence to go out there and share your faith. Coming your way right now on The Rap Report, I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport. One, two, three! Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 168 for April 2022 with Andrew Rappaport on Apologetics. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 168 for April 2022. Andrew Rappaport is back. Andrew has been on the show many times before, and he returns this month to talk about apologetics. Andrew is founder and president of Striving for Eternity Ministries, which focuses on evangelism, outreach, and education. This episode should be on Rumble if you wish to catch the video, as well as the Echo Zoe Locals page in both audio and video formats. If you're seeing it on YouTube, come on over and subscribe to Echo Zoe on Rumble as well. Video will continue to go up on YouTube, but I'm putting more emphasis on Rumble and Locals in an effort to stay ahead of big tech censorship. Also, in regards to social media, you can find Echo Zoe on Twitter, Gab, Parler, Getter, and Telegram. And uh, earlier this week, we created an account at Truth Social. But because it's such a fresh account, it's a long way from being active. So go ahead and follow at Echo Zoe. And once we are approved, uh, that will come alive and you'll already be following. Also, you can find an up-to-date list of all these various websites at echozoe.com slash linktree. I've talked in the past about the Echo Zoe Locals page quite a bit, and I wanted to announce one more reason to come on over and join us. I've shared in the past that Locals page has a paywall and explained that for the most part, anything that's behind the paywall at echozoe.com is also behind the paywall at Locals, which is to say that anything that's not in front of the, or behind the paywall on one isn't behind the paywall on the other as well. That continues to be the case, uh, how we're treating that paywall over there. The big incentive to come on over to Locals right now, though, 
is that I've just uploaded the film Jerusalem's King to the video section of the Locals page. If you haven't seen Jerusalem's King yet, now's the time to see it. We just finished the sequel, and those of us who worked on the sequel, which is called The Conquest, were treated to do a cinematic screening about a week ago. I don't yet have a broad release date for The Conquest, but it will be soon. So come on over to the locals and watch Jerusalem's King and be ready for The Conquest. And I can't neglect to mention that if you get an account going on Locals and follow Echozoi Ministries, there is a pinned comment that goes up every month with a promo code so you can come behind the paywall for free. So the term paywall isn't even entirely accurate. But come on over, use the code, get a chance to see Jerusalem's King for free, as well as all the other resources available at Locals. Jerusalem's King is already up at the time that I'm recording this. It will is scheduled to go live on Friday, April 15th. So if you're hearing this after April 15th, it's up there and you can go use the promo code and you can see it. And all of the other video resources that are in the Echozoe store are also on Locals as well. The show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 168. That's where you'll find an outline of the discussion, a list of the scriptures that we refer to during the show, Additional resources, related episodes, all that kind of stuff goes into the show notes. So check that out at echozoe.com slash 168. And with that, here's my discussion with Andrew. Andrew Rappaport. It's been, uh, what, four months since we Andy talked? Andy Olson. Yes, it has. <laughs> well, you were giving me grief on the roundtable about Fred possibly passing you and Appearances on Echo Zoe Radio. Well, that's just because I like to give you grief. It, I well, mean, I know. It, if I I'm, know. if I do tie with Fred, I would just find something else. You know, when we get to this year's roundtable, I'll just find something else. That's yeah. Yeah. That's that's. Uh, I get good. the game. I get the game. So I had to look it up. You've been on. You've only been on two other times aside from the roundtables. Four roundtables, and then two actual. Just you and me talking. Then Fred totally has me beat. And no, no, on that, I think he does. But, but, but you have to consider that that first time we did like a whole nother show of talking and teaching you how to use Logos Bible software afterwards. So, you know, th- doesn't that count for an episode? Well, that even wasn't being a, recorded? I, I didn't put that on my feed. I don't think it counts. <laughs> it doesn't count. Oh, Isn't uh, that on your YouTube channel? Well, that's just a, uh, not that session, but yeah, I have plenty there. So. Is it still there? You like redid your YouTube channel a while back. Uh, yeah. And we're getting ready to get off of YouTube altogether, you know, because they're so, they're so wonderful towards, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I have been really of the mind that anybody who's on YouTube and this goes for you, but anybody listening who's on YouTube or anybody who knows anybody who's on YouTube to get on other sites and do your YouTube and your other site. I use rumble. I like rumble on my last several episodes. I think since our round table, I've been putting them up on rumble more. I've been uh, focusing on rumble and I really uh, encourage people to be on both so that when you're on and you're telling people, Hey, I'm on YouTube and on rumble. And then YouTube takes you down all your viewers, all your audience will know, Oh, he's been saying for months I'm on rumble too. Well, here's, here's the thing you can also do. Um, I, I'm on 
I, I tried Rumble, don't like it so much. Uh, can't do playlists and things, mm-hmm. but I am. I am on um, uh, Odyssey. Odyssey, the, yeah. Odyssey. Now, Odyssey is using blockchain. So the nice thing about it is when you put a video up, someone can't just take it down. Mm-hmm. And so that's a nice thing about it. The other nice thing about it is if you're still using YouTube, it automatically goes over to Odyssey as long as it's under two hours. So oh, my cool. Apologex live show, sometimes that goes over two hours. And so those I would have to manually move over. But that's nice. It syncs everything. So if you are if you have a lot of videos like we have at Striving Fraternity, man, that's a pain to like, I was just afraid, like, I do not want to have to move them all over to Rumble. Mm-hmm. And that thought just was like, oh, too much. But with Odyssey, you just put it in, say, here's where my YouTube channel is. And it just sucks it all out. Cool. Very nice. And I've been asking people, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Rumble. I've been asking, does anybody on either BitChute or Odyssey and want me to start putting videos there too? And I have not heard a word from anyone. So I haven't gotten on either one. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you know, this is the problem that, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, everyone's trying to create parallel platforms and I get it and I understand, but there's just too many people still using the original platforms. And, and that's the thing. And so it's, it's really hard to say we're going to be able to create something different. That's going to get the, I mean, I'm on truth social and it still doesn't get, you know, the attention I'm on, you know, getter and uh gap and, and, you know, all these others mm-hmm. and you just don't get the, there's just not enough people on it. And what I found is like parlay and truth social and all that. They're so political. They're, they're, there's the Christians on, yeah, there's Christians on them. It's just most of the people went there for political reasons. And so because they were driven off of Twitter and Facebook. And yes. YouTube. Yeah. And yeah. and so that that's sort of the thing is I feel like I'm not really I, I'm not really finding the audience that would be what I'd be looking for there. Mm-hmm. And so But I think you know, that like on a platform level, that is a problem. But as a content creator, little old you and little old me, we can kind of leverage that where you're on Odyssey, I'm on Rumble, and we can just be using YouTube to make sure that our audiences know where to go if and when YouTube ever decides that they don't want us there anymore. Well, they, they've kind of decided they don't want us. They're just trying to wait to get rid of us. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the thing is, is what, what I think... Um, you know, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm trying to move off and I'm going to start trying to move Apologetics live over to Odyssey and get everything over there. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And, but the reality is, is that uh, it's good to have all these, I, you know, this is why I think totally off topic here, folks, but uh, we're supposed to be talking Apologetics, but oh, we'll get know, there. Elon, Elon Musk with what he did, it's very interesting buying, buying the shares of Twitter and being a major shareholder. So he's the largest shareholder. And this is what you need. You need some people that are even somewhat conservative because Elon Musk isn't really conservative. He's he's more libertarian, but he's, he's fed up with the nonsense. And the thing that you see is you need to get people like that. that are willing to buy these companies and change them. Now, it's interesting because what Elon Musk did, everyone's saying like Elon bought the company so he can have some vote and say, Except for what I understand, mm, the type really. of the type of shares he bought doesn't give him a vote. It's just like an investor, and so 
I guess what it is is, hey, I own these shares. If you don't do what I want, I sell them all and your stock right. tanks. Yep. And so, yeah, shareholders would, you, you think shareholders are going to pay attention to that. But the problem is. It's not the shareholders, though. It, well, it's the, it's, it's, it's the board and things. But here's the thing. It's these the executives. people don't care. Yeah, but they don't care. No, they do care because a lot of these people aren't necessarily paid like a traditional salary. They're paid in things like stock options. And if they are counting on stock options coming in and Elon knows that, well, this guy is not, he does he shouldn't have the job to begin with. If he dumps that nine point, whatever, 9.2% that he bought the, like the day of, or the day before the options become available and he, the, those people aren't going to get any compensation at all because that, that those options are going to be worthless. Yes, but here's the thing. These guys are doing things that they know don't help the company. I mean, like you, you look at Disney and what they're, what they've done recently, right? They know they're, they're turning off their primary audience, but it's like, well, Hey, but we're keeping employees happy. Hey, good job. Employees are happy that you're being a knucklehead. I mean, you know, it's bad business, but they, they don't seem to care right now. And that's, that's concerning. Um, now, there's some reasons for this. And, and, you know, this is, this goes back to Barack Obama and very few people really realize this. He said he wanted to fundamentally change America. Mm-hmm. And everyone thought they knew what that meant. And no one knew what that actually meant. Here's how he fundamentally changed America. He got businesses to push his political agenda. And it's like, oh, don't worry, you lose money, we subsidize you. Now, you have a business. Hey, I get guaranteed money from the government or possible money from a customer. Well, I'll go with guaranteed money. And so they start pushing his agenda. That's really what's been going on. And you and know so you how see- he did that? He, he, he won over the big investment firms, the BlackRock and the Vanguard, where you take your IRA or your 401k and you stick it in Vanguard and you're buying a bunch of mutual funds and you got, you got all these stocks that you own via mutual funds. Stocks generally come with voting privileges when they come up where uh, the, the board members uh, terms are up. And normally if you just go on like an E-Trade or a Schwab or whatever, you buy like, so you buy Twitter or you buy a Coca-Cola or you buy Home Depot. They're going to send you a notice that says, Hey, board elections are up. Go on and, uh, and, and cast your vote as a shareholder. But if you're in a mutual fund, the mutual fund manager gets to cast those votes. They get to use your shares to reshape the company. And the, the CEO of BlackRock has been very vocal lately that he's leveraging that. He's, he's putting pressure on companies to do what he wants because he's got the voting shares via mm-hmm. his investors and his investors can't. All, the only thing that the investors can do that I'm aware of is take their money out and invest through somebody else or, or invest directly where they would get that vote. Yeah. Well, it's really this, dirty. this is how there's other ways he did things where it was quite interesting, you know, where folks, folks don't really know some of this stuff. Cause it just, this isn't the things the media is going to talk about, but he would, he would basically, he did money laundering. He basically used the government to say, that oh, yeah. you, you know, they're going to come after some company, but if you donate money to this liberal cause, 
we're going to let these fines go. Yep. And so, you know, it, basically, uh, well, let's see, I could, I could pay the, give a donation to this liberal cause and that gets them money. And I pay less than I would for a fine or, you know, other yep. things. So that that they 30% make it. or something. You pay yeah. 30% over to these guys, make the donation. We let it go away. We, we let it go. Yep. It, that, that's basically money laundering. And that, so, mm-hmm. yeah, these are things that the yeah, news so doesn't crooked. report because yep. they're not on it. So, so apologetics. <laughs> yeah. So apologetics. Um, I, uh, I did this show with Cy 10 Brugen Kate back in 2013 because I had just really had presuppositional apologetics articulated through some of the materials that he'd done and did a show. And I know you do a lot of the same similar, very presuppositional apologetics. And so I'd like to talk with you about it, get a little different perspective on a similar subject. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of people think it's funny when, when, I teach apologetics. People think that I got it from Saitem Bruggenkate. And, and I always have to tell people, no, I've been, I've been teaching it longer than, than Sai knew what it was. It's, it, some people think like it started with him. No, he, he made it like lay level. Right. Um, but uh, it didn't say like my seminary professor had his PhD in presuppositional apologetics. Um, it, you know, so it was really fun when he asked me to come in and teach, teach a class. And I'm like, uh, you want me to come in, you got a PhD in this. And what, what am I going to teach that, that you can? I was like really surprised by it. And he said, look, I teach it in a classroom. You do it on the streets. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, point taken. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> as know? far as Cy, I, I, I always saw Cy as being kind of like how Ray Comfort is on evangelism. You know, Ray Comfort didn't inv- invent evangelism but he brought it down to a level that average Christians can really understand it and feel like they can do it. And that's what Cy did more for a presupposition. Well, and, and the same thing that Ray did, you know, you see the video clips just doing the, the good person test with Ray. Mm-hmm. People think that's like all Ray does. People think like Ray just gets up there and it's like, so are you a good person? No, that, that's not actually all he does. That's just all the clips because that's what he's trying to teach. And so you, you if you go out with Ray and, evangelize with him you see that th- there's a lot more that he'll, he'll do he does a you know he gathers the crowd then he, he'll joke he'll tell you know he, he jokes around a lot uh and if you know ray it's just that's his nature uh he, he can't help but joke around but uh you know people think like oh i can reproduce what these guys do and when they get out on a street they take what they hear and what they're hearing is an outline and they take that, and then when someone challenges them, they go, uh, I don't know what to do, you know. So so when they see what, what like, a Cy Tim Brunke will do, and they're like, you know, well, how do you know that's true? You know, and, and if someone throws something that they weren't expecting, they don't understand the why. And I'd see this a lot where at first it worked really well because the atheist, professing atheist, just didn't know how to answer. But then they figured out answers, and then it was the Christians going, uh, 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 because they didn't understand what's behind presuppositional apologetics. They understood the outline because they watched these videos where it was clips of it. And and that's where, 
you know, it, it helps to understand what presuppositional apologetics is. And so, so let me give some definitions. We, we have three main branches of apologetics. You have evidentialists, you have classicalists, and you have presuppositionalists. So let's start with the evidentialist. An evidentialist is going to be someone who believes that basically, to, to bring it down to simple terms, that I can use evidence to convince you into the kingdom. In other words, if I give you enough evidence, you will believe that God is is real, that Christianity is right, and that you need to repent. You just need the evidence. Um, Who might be a, a well-known evidential apologist? Well, uh, you have William Lane Craig is probably the, the best known. You'd have, um, you know, and, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention people I, I know personally. So I'm saying that just because I mention people and they're evidentialists, they do it differently than me. It doesn't mean they're bad, but people I, I know personally, you know, it, you know, guys like um, Jim Wallace goes by as an author. He's Jay Warner Wallace, not to be confused with the liberal J- Jim Wallace. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, Greg Kokel, they, they would they would rely on evidence. Frank Turek. Um, so these are guys that are looking at the evidence. And now Frank is in a little bit of a different boat. Maybe he's more getting into the classical approach because he has written a book recently. Well, not now it's not all that recent, but he wrote a book that kind of is, sounds more like a pre-sub book. Um, and so maybe he's starting to move that direction a bit. Yeah, but now uh, you just, you just said both uh, classical and pre-sub. So. Well, I don't know if he's moving to pre-sub or if it was just like, I, you know, I, I never talked to him about that book. So, and, and why he wrote it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I just could look at what the book says. Right. Sure. Then you have classicalists. You'd have your R.C. Sproul as a classicalist, and the and the classicalist is kind of in between the precept and and evidential. So they're going to use the evidence and and say that if you have enough evidence, but they don't want to put God on trial type of thing, and so they're going to look for the evidence. They're gonna they're gonna make more evidential arguments, but with but with the starting point that God exists. And so a presuppositionalist is going to say, okay, we start with the presupposition. Now, my presuppositions is that I have two presuppositions I start with when when doing apologetics. God exists. He has spoken. What do I mean by that? Every single human being, I enter into it knowing that they know those two things. God exists and he has spoken. And so I'm going to argue from that point of view. So the key difference is do we put the unbeliever in the position where they get to act as judge over God? So if I'm giving them the evidence, it's just they need to make the right decision. If I give them the evidence, they're going to be able to see what's right. They're the judge. When what Romans 1 tells me is they already know God exists. They just suppress that truth in unrighteousness. So so I just point that out. And I don't give up the scriptures in the, in the discussion. So there's, you'll hear people, uh, William Lane Craig, you know, would say this is, you know, he can prove God without the Bible. Okay. But why would you want to? Right. Right. I mean, you have the truth. Why would you want to enter into this realm of what they claim is neutrality? And, and you'll notice what they'll say if you're talking to, to an unbeliever is, you know, like step into, step into a, a position of neutrality. You give up your Bible and then argue from there. And you go, well, wait a minute, wait, stop, hold it. Uh, let me get this straight. You want me to give up the truth to, to, to enter into your, the truth. yeah, in your world of untruth. Okay, let, fine. Then let's talk biology and you get rid of all of your biology textbooks. 
they're not going to they're not going to agree to that and and what it is is i feel that what many are trying to do is they say there's this area of neutrality where we can argue on level playing field and the answer is we can't because they don't give up their worldview they ask us to give up our worldview and many christians go okay we could do that so my point from a presuppositional position is i start with the, the fact that i know from god that they know God exists. So when I enter into the discussion, I, I was just at Purdue University, and this young lady told me that she's an atheist. And I said, no, you're not. You're, you're someone who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. She's like, how could you tell me what I believe? I said, it's not me telling you what, it's, what you believe. It's the God who created you who tells me what you believe. And he cannot lie. And you can. Therefore, I'm going to trust him and not you. <laughs> and she, she was so upset with that. Now you have to understand, she's a she was a a claims to be a, a trans, and so which made this discussion easier. But what I said is, I can prove to you, you're not an atheist. And she was like, you cannot. I said, okay, I can. But I said, so as an atheist, you believe that this is everything we see is just pure chemical reactions, correct? Or just a material world. Yes, you don't believe in, in the immaterial world, right? She goes, you mean like a soul? Well, just anything that's immaterial, but the soul would be one of them. She goes, no, that doesn't exist. Okay, so things like an ability to reason, truth, knowledge, laws of logic, morality, all those are, Im are immaterial things. So you don't believe in any of them, right? So you're, you want to have a reasonable conversation, but you want to rely on something that's immaterial, which right there ends your argument. And she's like, no, those are just chemical reactions in the brain. Okay, well, we could get into that. And, and there, are, there are ways to get into that. But instead, what I decided to do, and this has been the argument I've been using recently, to prove that they believe in a material world. I said, okay, so me as a biological male, all of my chemicals and chemical reactions would be male. Do you believe that people can, I, that I can, as a biological male, biologically, can I identify as a female? And she's like, yes, psychology teaches us this. And I said, psychology, you mean the study of the soul? She's like, what? I said, yeah, that's what psychology means. Psyche, soul, ology, study of, study of the soul. You just caved in on that. And, I, and, she, and she then told me that my statement was transphobic. And I went, wait a minute, but you agree with my statement. She goes, no, I don't. I said, so you, you believe that biologically a male can identify as a female? She goes, yes, using psychology. I said, you missed the point. <laughs> you said the statement biologically a man can't identify as a woman was transphobic. And yet you have to appeal to psychology, which is the study of the soul. So biologically, can we? The answer was no. Okay, that you're transphobic. And which she got very upset. And she said, I can't be transphobic because I'm trans. I said, but you just said the statement's inherently transphobic. She goes, well, I'm a trans, so I get to make the, dis the, the definition. I went, oh, so you're an anti-Semite. You want to kill Jewish people. She went, what? How could you say such a thing? I said, because I'm Jewish, and I get to define, make the definition. She goes, oh, we're playing that game? I said, well, no, you were playing that game. I just joined you. <laughs> <laughs> Right. This is the this is what we're dealing with. But but notice what I'm doing. I'm putting them in a position where they know so many of these people want to say that if everything is just the material world, but they know it's not the case, because when you appeal to someone 
that is biologically male. And if it's just, if just material world, everything in our body would be male. We would think male. We would act male. We would be male. How do we identify female? Where, where does that come in? That's an appeal to the immaterial. So anytime they say that, guess what? They're appealing to something that's outside of their worldview. They've just given up their atheism and it does frustrate them when they understand well, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah they, I mean, when you show somebody they're inconsistent, that's obviously yes. going to frustrate them. Well, then they call you transphobic. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's like, and I said to them, I'm like, I'm not afraid of trans people. That's not what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we could just keep changing definitions, but the, notice what I did in that. Not once did I give up the existence of God. Not once do I give up that God has spoken. So in other words, when she tells me she's an atheist, I just flatly tell her, no, she's not. And God said so. Now, she already knows that. See, because God said she knows that. Mm-hmm. And that's the advantage that I have. Any This actually makes it so much easier for me to do apologetics when I'm out on the street, because I walk into the discussion knowing that God has spoken. (laughs) It's like, it's like walking into a, to a test and, you know, with all the answers. Okay. Here's the answer key. Okay. Let me look it up. Okay. Here's, I just fill in the, right. I don't believe in God. God says different. (laughs) You know, and you're not there. And notice, they're not arguing. They, they want to put it on me. You're saying I don't believe in God. No, God says you don't believe. You you believe in God. It's not what I say. I'm going right back to Scripture. Your argument is with God, not with me. All I am is the messenger. So that does a couple things for people that are afraid to to be out on the street. One, and the pressure's all off of me. Yeah, it, it's on that that person to have to answer. Now I was looking through the show notes for that episode I did with Cy and I had made a point specifically that neither one of us, not neither I nor Cy knew if presuppositional apologetics is the same as covenantal apologetics or, or if there are some subtle differences. No, no. But, I mean, in, in fact, I mean, my, my professor who has a PhD in it wouldn't be covenantal at all. Uh, he would be dispensational and he wouldn't be Calvinistic, sure. you know, uh, and yet he teaches it. So it's, there, there's, there's people that try to make the claim uh, that somehow this is a covenantal or uh, reformed apologetic. Um, it's just a biblical one. Just trying to own something. That- yeah, it may be, but it's, I mean, the reality is what, what does Romans one say? I mean, it, it says that everyone knows God exists so they're without excuse. There's no, no, no need to appeal to a covenant or a dispensational type of interpretation to come to, to just read that as it is. Right. So I, no, I don't think it's a, it, that you can make the argument that it's purely covenantal or reformed or dispensational for that matter. I mean, it right. just, it, it is, okay. you know, it's, it's a, it's a clean, clear interpretation of scripture is what it is. Another thing that was going through my mind as you were describing that is I find so often I kind of end up coming back to things boiling down to the original lie in the garden. You know, when, when the serpent told Eve, you'll be like God, he says, you'll know, you'll be like God knowing the difference between you'll, you'll know good from evil in an experiential sense. But 
even just that first part of what he's saying, you will be like God, that so much of this sinful world seems to boil down to this false promise that people want. That they'll be like God. And as you're describing this trans person who's denying psychology, but then appealing to psychology, it, it seems almost as if she's trying to be like God, that she can pick and choose when to use certain logic, when it applies and when it doesn't. And it just boils down basically to when I want it to apply, it applies. Well, that, that's what they're all trying to do. I mean, they're, they're trying to say that they get to set the rules because if they can set the rules, then they can say God doesn't exist. And guess what? I win because God doesn't exist. Right. And, and so it, it's a thing where what they're doing is, is in a sense, no different than, how the the serpent tried to deceive Eve, but here's the thing: you know, many people don't know, don't notice this. But first off, Adam was told from God not to eat of the fruit of one tree, right? right? Yep. You can eat of any fruit, he said. You can eat of all the fruits of the garden, except the yeah. fruit of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, many people blame Eve for saying that you can't touch it. We don't know where she got that. Maybe that was Adam. Maybe Adam said, you can't eat it. Don't even touch it. Maybe that came from Adam, that addition to God's word. A lot of people focus on that and say Eve did something. But what a lot of people miss is what Satan actually said. Let me read to you what Satan said in there. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Very subtle, but do you notice what he did? Now, how many trees can she eat from? All of the trees except one. What does this Satan do? He makes it all about that one. If you can't eat from that one, you can't eat from any. Right? Right. Did God say you can't eat from any of the trees? No, you can eat from all of them except one. This is this is what we end up seeing people do. You know, you have the the egalitarians that will sit in, in churches and say, Well, you know, what if I if I can't be a pastor or a preacher, then I can't do anything in church. No, you could do everything but that, right? Mm -hmm. But they focus in on the one thing that God says, no, you can't do. And so here, what God says for the unbelievers, yeah, you, you must repent. Well, they want to they want to focus on any, anything but that, right? So it's like, well, I, I can I can decide. God says He's in control, well, and I can decide I'm in control. No, you're not. You know, and, and this is what you what you raised is something you're going to find on the street over and over and over again. People are going to try to create a God of their own liking, a God that they can submit to because they created him. Mm -hmm. You know, someone on the street tells me, well, my God would never send someone to hell. I usually agree with him. I go, you're right, because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> right. So, so he can't send anybody to hell. <laughs> so um, I didn't have a follow-up question, but, you know, I, I want to get deeper into this. Um, well, maybe we'll go here. You, you talked about um, classical a little bit. You touched on classical. What, what more would differentiate classical from either evangelical? You evidentiary. <laughs> Evidential versus, or presupposition. versus presupposition. Yeah. I think I think the main thing is the way the evidence is used. Okay. okay. And so I'm not going to put an unbeliever in the position where he's a judge over whether God exists or not, or whether he's spoken or not. The other thing I'm not going to do, and, and, and a classicalist will do this part, is to give up the scripture and try to 
argue on a level playing field. I don't do that. Uh, I have the truth. The truth comes from God and God cannot lie. I'm not giving that up for anything because I go in there knowing, and this is what comforts me when, when I get into discussions, I go in there knowing I have the truth. And the argument that they have is not with me. So the pressure's not on me. So I don't feel like, oh, I gotta, I gotta win a debate. Mm-hmm. I, I just say, sorry, God disagrees with you. So that's you're, you're, how classical would be like evidentiary. How is it more, you say it's kind of in the middle. How is well, it it's like in, the, in the middle that they're, they're, they're usually, they're not going to put God on trial. They're going to, a lot of classicalists will start that God exists. Okay. But that, but that he has spoken, maybe we need to prove that out. Okay. And now this is a thing you get some, uh, you know, you get some presuppositionals and I mean, Sai used to say this, I'm glad he doesn't say it anymore, but he used to say that, you know, evidence is a sin. No, it's not. I mean, Jesus used evidence. There's, there's a, there's a proper way to use evidence. I use evidence to expose that their worldview is false. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll use evidence to show that, you know, what the claims they're making are not valid. So in other words, I, uh, this girl at Purdue, we started a discussion on abortion and she said, well, it's, you know, a man can't decide what a woman gets to do with her body. Now, by the way, I've come up with a new argument for that nowadays. Next time I hear that, I'm just going to go, well, so I can talk about what a woman could do with her body as long as I identify as a woman, right? <laughs> I don't have to be a woman. I could just identify. Because how do you define a woman? Because right. now even even a Supreme Court justice doesn't want to define a woman. No one wants to define what a woman is. So, you know, we could just ask, what's a woman? But what I had said to this girl was, I said, so you're saying a man can't decide. So men don't have the right to decide what a woman could do with their body. She says, that's correct. I said, fine. Can you name the female Supreme Court justice that had voted for abortion, which one of them on Roe versus Wade named the woman? There weren't any women it. on there. <laughs> there were no women. They were all men. And therefore, if you're saying that only a woman could decide, we should immediately outlaw abortion until right. some women decide. And and poll after poll has revealed that you know over sixty percent of women would vote against abortion. So the reality is, is like you're saying only only a, a woman could decide. But yet you appeal to the fact that, you know, seven men decided, right? So you're, you're, you're not being consistent there. Now, what am I doing? I'm using evidence there, aren't I? Evidence to prove God exists? No. And here's why. This is the thing for folks to understand. What's the difference? If there's some evidence that can ultimately prove God's existence, then that evidence is greater than God himself. If there's evidence that can ultimately be proved to, to, for the scriptures, then that, that evidence is greater than the scriptures. Now, is there arguments that can be made? Is there evidence we can make that would support that God exists and he has spoken? Yes. As I said to that lady, right? The fact that you, you want to have a reasonable conversation with me, that you're relying on a God-given ability to reason. And so a lot of times what I'll say to a professing atheist is, because, you know, in the Psalms, it says, uh, Psalm 14, and, and uh, I think it's 52, says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, part of what that is, in my thinking, is this. 
you got someone who's using their God-given ability to reason to reason that God doesn't exist. I mean, that's foolishness. Right. Right? You, you can't even reason that statement, God doesn't exist, without first relying on God's giving you an ability to reason, giving you knowledge, giving you truth, giving you the laws of logic in the universe, giving you a mora- more system of morality. So where do we get morality from? The, the nature of God. Where do we get the laws of logic from? The nature of God. Where do we get truth from? The nature of God. Where do we get knowledge from? The nature of God. Right? Where do we get an ability to reason? From God creating us in his image. All of these things require God. So, so what I'll get sometimes is someone will say, well, no, the laws of logic are just the, the, the product of a human brain. Really? Okay, let, let's, let's test that. And this is where I'm using, I'm using evidence and I'm using logic to expose the failures of their worldview. So I'll say, okay, there was a time before human beings existed, correct? And they'll say, yes. I mean, you know, they think millions of years, I think six days and so, or five days. Mm-hmm. So in that time, Second law of logic would be what's called the law of non-contradiction. So make it simple. The way it's a phrase is you can't have A and not A in the same way at the same time. So let me give an illustration. I can't have $20 in my wallet and not in my wallet at the same time in the same way. Now, I could have had $20 in my wallet and I spent it. So that's not in the same time, right? It's Mm -hmm. a different time. I could have $20 in my wallet, but it's monopoly money and we're talking 20 US dollars, that's not in the same way. So could the universe have existed and not existed at the same time and in the same way before there was a human brain? Now, that's a tough question for them to answer because they have one of two things. They could say no, which is logical, and they now just blew up their whole argument that it's the product of the human brain. Therefore, humans didn't create or invent the laws of logic it came from the mind of God. It came from his nature. Or they can say yes and accept contradictions. And I've had this happen multiple times. And that's where you can have a little fun, especially if you do an open air uh, evangelism as I do. Cause I say, I, you know, I remember once I had a gentleman, he said, I said, you're wrong. He said, no, I'm right. I said, no, you're wrong. He said, I'm right. No, you're wrong. He says, I'm right. I said, no, you're wrong. And you can't disagree with me because you accept contradictions. So if you feel that you're right and I must be wrong, you're appealing to my worldview, not your own, which he really got frustrated with because he really wants to be right. And for me to be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right but now he's stuck because he Isn't just that how the postmodern mind works yes we want to live in a relativistic world where we can decide how the world around us works but we also want absolutes so that when somebody punches us in the nose we can appeal that that's wrong to punch somebody in the nose well we we, we are living in a world now with critical racism theory that says that a man can identify as a woman, and that is that's okay. But then, you know, we have to have a, a first woman black justice. Well, wait, how do you know she's really a woman? That was my question. When I asked, how can you define a woman? Well, I can. I'm not a biologist. Well, Biden said he wanted to appoint a black woman. How do we know you fit the description? Yeah. Well, and I was glad she admitted I'm not a biologist. What I would have, what I wanted this, the Senator to do is press that. Yeah. 
and say, well, thank you for, for uh, announcing that it is biologically impossible for a man to be a woman, right? Because mm-hmm. it is. They want to saying his, it's a it's bio, it's a biological issue at all. Yeah, they have to appeal to psychology, which psychology is the study of the soul. Okay, well then you got a problem there. So, but you see how I can use evidence to break down their arguments. I can I can discuss the, they believe in millions of years. Really, okay. How do you explain how come there's so little salt in the water? Why is the moon so close to the earth? Because the moon is moving a little bit further away. About, I think like an inch and a half a, every couple of years. Um, you know, why there's, there's, we get more salt in the water every year. Um, why, why is there so little? Why is the moon so close? Why do we still have blue stars, which can't last millions of years? Why do we still have comets that are breaking up and, and they can't last millions of years? You know, why do we have you know, diamonds that have C14, which they shouldn't have that if they're millions of years old. You know, all these questions we look at and go, these all support a young universe, younger than millions of years. I mean, 6,000 years is still old, but, you know, the fact is we could look at these things and that's evidence. But see, that's evidence to expose their worldview, not evidence to, to prove God exists. Now, are there things that I could argue for the existence of God? Yes. Because I start with God's existence, right? So I could look at laws of logic and all these things. That's the key difference between your method and the other methods is the the, the evidentiary classic. Correct. Because they're they're They would end up sometimes saying that, well, you, we can prove God. No, no, God exists. You, You don't prove God. God exists. That's, that's the necessary starting point. If, if you don't start there, you can't make sense of anything. If you don't start with God's existence, you cannot explain anything that you want to argue because you're appealing to the biblical worldview. You you need that necessary. So the first thing the unbeliever has to do is explain how they can have all these immaterial things in their worldview before starting the, the discussions. Mm-hmm. Explain to me how you have these. Oh, they're just products of the human mind. No, you're, you're just making that up. That's just, you know, a science of the gaps. You shove it in and say, well, science will figure it out. The, the answer is they're immaterial and you need an immaterial source for them. So, so right off the bat, now I'm not proving God's existence. I start and say God exists and these things you want to do, you couldn't do without it. You know, now what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, are there ways we can look to Scripture and say this? Are there are there evidence to support Scripture? Notice the difference: support versus prove. I can look at prophecies, but see the the reason why you don't want to do this. If I say that, well, I can give evidence to prove the Bible. Look at prophecies. All all you need is someone that creates another book that has prophecies in it, and look, they that that must be true too right? Mm -hmm. That becomes the issue that you have when you have people that are appealing to evidence. You have, you know, I give you good evidence today, but someone else may give you better evidence tomorrow that sounds more convincing. Here's the difference. And this is the key. When I'm giving you evidence and I'm trying to convince you who's, who is in charge? Me. I'm the one that's going to determine the, if the evidence is convincing, if I like it, if it appeals to me, I'm going that way. 
but you're not in charge. You didn't create the universe. So we don't appeal to you. We don't go to you and say, oh, well, we're going to look to you for, for the proof that, that of what is in the world. No, we, we start with God, and, and it's necessary to start with God. The fact that he has spoken is necessary because we would not know anything about him unless he speaks. He has to reveal himself to us because he's completely, utter, utterly different than us. He is separate from us. That's what holiness means. He's holy. He is separate from us. And that's the difference. And, and people have to recognize that fact. When, when they make these arguments and stuff, what, what they're doing is they're appealing to our worldview to then deny our worldview. And that's the foolishness of it. And that, that's where I find it so much easier as a presuppositionalist because I don't need to know all the fancy arguments. I don't have to memorize all these things about the dating methods and, and you know, all the stuff like I, you know, that I was talking about the, the, the moon and the salt. and the, I don't have to memorize all that. I don't have to know all that. You know what I have to know? The Bible. I know the truth. And then I just compare anything they say to that. And so what do I do to, to prepare for apologetics? I study the Bible. What does that do? That gets me closer to my God who I love. It gets me to know him better. And then when I get into a, a discussion with someone, I just appeal to, to what I've studied, to what scripture says. And so here becomes the, the thing that's nice about this is as we appeal to that, we start off with we, the fact that we know the truth. So you think about how, um, Secret Service, when they compare, you know, they're going to find counterfeit money. They don't go study monopoly money and, you know, right. they don't study all the counterfeits, right? They study the real deal. And if they know what makes something a real U.S. dollar or U.S. currency, they just have, okay, these are the things that are U.S. currency. It's going to look a certain way. It's going to be a certain type of texture. It's going to have the red and the, the blue threads in it. It's going to have these th different watermarks in it. As long as they know all the things that, that define it, then all they got to do is compare what they have to the definition. Does it have all of the qualities? Yes, it's legit. No, it's counterfeit. So I don't, I don't need to go studying all these evidences. I don't need to go studying all these world religions. I don't need to know everything about that stuff. I just need to know the Bible. And then every time they, you know, making a case, it's like, well, it's not what God says, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's really what we're, we're looking at saying, but this is what the God of the universe that you know exists has said. And, and just leave it at that because where's their real, their real issue? Their real issue is with God. Mm -hmm. And so I want to redirect the conversation to say, that's where your, your issue with bring it up with him. Because when we get into these discussions and, and notice I'm saying discussions, not debates, because some people want to make it to a debate and they want to make it between you and them. What am I doing? I'm redirecting it to them and God because they don't have an evidence issue. They have a spiritual issue. I can give them evidence all day long. Won't convince them at all as long as they think they get to choose. Yeah. Right? They're the ones that are, that's going to decide. No, you're not. You're going to submit. Either now you're going to bow your knee now or you're going to bow your knee in death. That's what God has said. But every man will bow his knee. And so you're, you are going to either repent or perish. That's it. 
And, and it's not me being the bad guy here. I'm just telling you what God said, right? N- notice though, in that discussion, as I go through it, all the focus goes back to God, right? It's what he has said. Now, if they say, well, you only believe that because God said it in a book. Yeah, but he can't lie. (laughs) You know, can you? Yes. Okay. I'll believe the guy who can't lie and created the universe, puts breath in your lungs. Uh, I'll believe him over you. He might be a little bit smarter than you since he's completely all absolutely knowledgeable of everything. You know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Well, I I was going to direct you to what you just said for the last five minutes. And that was to circle back to the beginning. And you talked about people who watch videos of Ray Comfort or Cy Ted Brugenkate and think that looks so easy and then get out there and try to do it and realize it's it. I didn't, you know, I got asked a question I didn't know how to deal with. And I think you answered that quite well, that you just got to know the Bible. You got to understand God's word. And from there you can do it. But again, even with that great answer, there's a kind of a difference between the head knowledge and the experience and getting out and actually doing it. So what, how, how would you advise somebody who sees this and says, Hey, I want to go, or, I want to go like share my faith with people. And, and, uh, uh, I want to interact with people on the street and I want to do what you do. Well, basically go out and do it. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like riding a bike, just really, you know, yeah, you just, recognize you you're going to fall over a bunch of times before you keep yeah, the wheels up. Yeah, you're, and you are. I mean, look, I, I, I usually, when I get up and do open air in New York City, I would start this way. I'd get up on a box and I'd just announce very loudly, I can answer any question you have about God and the Bible. And inevitably a, a crowd comes and someone will ask me a really, really difficult question. And I'll go, I don't know. <laughs> and they go, you said you can answer anything. And, I, and I'll just turn and say, well, I think I don't know is a perfectly good answer. Don't, don't you? <laughs> right. And it is. Yeah. And so the thing to, to realize is don't be afraid. You can say, I don't know. I'll look into it. Yeah. And, and generally they don't actually care for the answer anyway. Right. But, and, and that's, that's a good point because you can always let that person know if you genuinely want to know the answer, if it's not just a rhetorical uh, debate tactic that you threw that out there, you really want to know the answer. I will go research it for you. Give me your number. Give me your email address. We'll get back in touch. Once I figured out how to respond. I do that all the time. And they, they almost never want to give you that email address. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what you end up seeing is start with the, the fact that, you know, you're speaking from the truth. Number one. Number two, that they know it's true. So you're, you're, you know, you don't have to sit there and have this debate and discuss. God says, you know, this, he exists. He has spoken. You know, this already, you may be suppressing that in unrighteousness, but that's between you and God. Mm-hmm. Third, you don't have to have an answer to everything. You can say, I don't know perfectly fine. You can go research whatever, whatever question you didn't know, go study it and get an answer next time. You know, people sit there and say, oh, I can never do, you know, what you do on the streets. Yes, you can do it like every day or, or weekly for 30 years and you'll get good 
like me. It's, it's not that I'm good. It's not that there's something special about me. It's just that I've been doing it for so long. It's you hear the same arguments over and yep. over and over. <laughs> there's like almost nothing new. And so, I mean, they do come up with some things, you know, now that with all the, you know, when I had the woman who, you know, I tried to explain there were no women on the, in the, no women judges that decided that she turned to me and her response was, you're oppressing me. Uh, I'm oppressing you. What does you? that have to do with the fact like, that the nine how, justices were in 1973 yeah, were all men? I'm like, how am I oppressing you? That's your cis male gender privilege. And I just looked at her, I said, who said I'm a male? And she just stopped. <laughs> like she didn't know what to do with that. So, so you can have fun on the streets too. Mm-hmm. And, and what I actually find is when you do have fun, when, when you're using humor like that, it actually lightens the conversation so that they're not as argumentative. And it, it'll soften it. We mentioned Ray Comfort. You know, Ray does that all the time, uses humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's Ray's personality as well. I mean, he's like that, whether he's on the box or whether you're sitting at di- and having lunch with him. That's just how he is. Yep. Um, but that does have an advantage in that it, it it will ease the conversation so it's less combative. And then you're getting into the goal of it is, and remember, the goal is always to get to the gospel. The goal is not to win a debate. What what good is winning a debate if they go to hell? Right. Nothing. I mean, the goal of this is that we get to the gospel message. And so what? how do we use the apologetics? We use the apologetics to shut the mouth of the ignorant so that we could get to the gospel. That's the goal of it, is just to shut that mouth. And so... In that case, we're trying to get them to just shut their mouth. They think they're in, because everything in their culture has told them that they were, they're in this position of strength. They're in this position where they can uh, make arguments and we have to defend when the reality is we're standing on the truth. We're standing on, on the, the firmest foundation they need to defend how they can have their worldview because their worldview makes absolutely no sense. They're, they're actually borrowing from our worldview to make their arguments. And so that's how I appeal to them is, is not, I don't give in. I don't sit there and even, oh, we'll prove God exists. You know, he exists. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know and, and I've seen it. I've seen where people will, will admit to that. You know, um, well, you know, that's I, what I was less. wondering is like how, when you're out, you've been, you say you've been doing this for many, many years, you do it a lot. How often do you encounter reaching that goal where you stop the mouth and now they're more receptive to getting to the gospel? Well, it depends on the person. Um, because but generally speaking, I mean, when you're out, say you talk to a hundred people, um, how many would you anticipate? would uh, realize well, that, that you've got a stronger answer and, and maybe submit and then listen to that gospel message. Well, it's, it's not so much that I, I'm, I'm looking to convince them that I have a stronger answer, um, but that it's true. And I think there's going to be plenty of people um, that will, you know, be in heaven, and I won't know it because they sure. walked away. Right. And so I, I have no clue. 
Right. Well, I understand that. And I understand also that, that you're on, uh, providentially you're there talking to one person, but the Lord might have providentially put you there because somebody else was just going to overhear the conversation. And, and that was the, his intended argument all the time. Yeah. That's his intended audience. Um, but just generally speaking, I think that, you know, when we're out sharing the gospel with people, we, I mean, admit it, we, we want to see somebody receptive to the gospel. We, we do, but you know, a lot of times we don't see that reception. They walk away and then, unless there's someone we know and we can yeah. continue having conversations. So a lot of times that reception comes later, mm-hmm. but there are times on the street. I mean, look, I've, I've been going well, I mean, to New York. What I'm getting at is even if you're out there and you talk to a thousand people and you have no idea that, you know, a hundred of them later went and sought out a pastor somewhere because they had further questions. Yeah. I mean, you don't so know that, but out of a, you know, say you talk to a thousand, is there one that you might? Well, let me, yeah, let me give you some, some, some few stats that, that I can appeal to is I've been, I've been going to New York city uh, to union square uh, for like 13 years, same place mm-hmm. for 13 years. I, we've had seven people reach out to us and, and tell us that they got saved. Now, those are the people that were regulars there because they knew they, they got our names. They figured out sure. how to get in touch with us, you know? Um, and, you know, and, and I, I think that's a cool answer. I mean, 13 years, seven people, it doesn't sound cool, but it is a cool answer. Yeah. I, you know, one, one of the coolest ones was this, you know, I had a, at my seminary, we had a, uh, we had a conference and they had Mark Dever and speaking and Mark brought a couple of his interns and one of his interns got up and each intern would get up before Mark spoke to, to share their testimony. And what we ended up seeing was there was a guy who gets up and says, well, I was saved at, I think it was University of Penn. And I got saved listening to some preacher at this place called The Hub. And I was angry with him. I yelled at him and, you know, and I left. And then, you know, I I ended up leaving school and, you know, for days I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get what he was saying out of my head. And I went and got a Bible and read it and got saved. And I'm going, wow. And that was like 18 years ago when, from, when, from when he told me a story. Mm-hmm. I went up to him. I said, look, there weren't many of us doing this 18 years ago. I mean, Ray Comfort made it popular, you know, but he wasn't even in the States 18 years ago from the time I had this conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, you know, tell me details of where you were. And so I actually was able to put this man who's now a pastor, a pastor in, in, at Mark Dever's church in touch with the guy who was preaching. Awesome. Like 18 years later, I like, I, it was a great email to email and be like, you know, Jeff, this is pastor Mike, or I forget the names now, but it was like, you know, I think those are names, but, but I, I'm probably wrong. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just to be able to send an email to these two guys and be like, here you go. And, and this guy was like, wow, like I didn't know, you know? Yeah. And, and the pastor was like, I didn't know how to get a hold of you. Like, <laughs> Now, the reason why I say even seven is a cool number, even though it doesn't sound like it, you put years and years and years of work in that, is if you think about how many times do we hear, you know, I'm going to go to politics just, just for a moment, but we all get really whipped up about the next political, the next election. And we hear that, well, if you can just take two people to the polls, 
uh, to vote for our guy. And if they can get two people to the polls and then those people can get two people to the polls, you know, how awesome would it be? We would win. And then the, Democrats would just, then the Democrats would just bring a truckload of fake ballots <laughs> yeah. and, and it wouldn't matter how many you bring to the polls. So sure. But my point is like, <laughs> I mean, if you just think about if, if you, you can say seven people like came to the Lord are saved, they will be with us in heaven. They are your treasure stored up in heaven. If each of those seven people got seven people over the course of a lifetime, I'm not even talking a year or, or every time you go out just over the course of a lifetime, seven people, if you can get seven people into the kingdom and everybody who gets into the kingdom also gets seven people, how long before the whole earth would come under the the gospel that people would be, well, I mean, so, so yeah, mathematically, um, I, I don't know if I could find this this quickly. It'd be a neat thing to. And I to think share. my point is, I think that when we when we think about evangelism, I, I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves that, well, I want to see a thousand people before I leave this earth. I want to see a thousand people come to, to Christ. Well, and, the problem is, is that who who is it that saves? Right? It's it's God who well, saves. Yeah, we, I mean, and, said, and that's the problem people have. But with what I you're agree. saying, I agree. But I, even even just for the encouragement of knowing, you know, for whatever your reason, I want to yes. see a thousand people. So in one of my, in one of my talks, I, I have a, a slide that it starts with, okay, if you start with 25 people, 25 people share the gospel every day, 364 days a year, they're sharing the gospel and three people get saved. That's less than 1%. Okay. Less than 1%. Oh, yeah. But this is the idea of if you're just being faithful to going out every day, you get rejected tons of times. Three people over 364 days, less than 1% get saved. But you take and you take those 25, they do that. Those three people all do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. 13 years, the entire United States is saved. 18 years, the entire world is saved. Right. And that's what I'm. That's you know, kind of what but, I'm getting at in a but, but the problem is, sort of way. We're not we're not faithful enough to go out there right. and and share the gospel every right. day. I, you know, I had a for for many years I had a policy that I would share the gospel at least once a day. Hand a gospel track something. Now, granted, I, I kind of got li- little legalistic with it, and it's like you'd know, be like eleven o'clock at night, and I'd be like, I didn't share the gospel today. Okay, I'd run out to like, get some milk or something so that I got a chance to hand no, over. I didn't track. Even bother. I'd just go right into the Seven Eleven, just walk right up to you know the person behind the counter because they're bo- bored out of their mind at that time anyway. Or sure. you go into a hotel and the person at the front desk, mm-hmm. and I would just start a conversation with them, hand them a gospel tract, you know, something. But you know, people will ask me man, I, I wish I had these stories like you have of, of sharing the gospel because there's a lot of things I could tell crazy stories of things that have happened. But like, I wish that I had those stories. You can just mm-hmm. go out every day. Like just go out more often. Right. When you go out a lot, you're going to have the stories because this the craziness always happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, if you don't go out, you're not going to have any stories. Right. It's just that simple. So... We, we need to be out there. We need to be sharing the gospel. And then my point was just like thinking about serving the Lord and do and doing that. And don't be discouraged by when I say seven people over 13 years is cool. I, I'm trying to show that. 
Yeah. It's not. Oh, I think it's, I think it's really neat. You know, yeah. there, there's nothing better than having. And that's the ones you know about. I mean, that's the ones I know about having, having a guy that, you know, sends you an email. Hey, you know, my name's Michael. I, you know, I used to be one of the hecklers with Solomon and, you know, I don't know if you remember me. And the answer is yes, I do remember Michael. <laughs> yep. And uh, he's like, you know, I just want to let you know, I got saved. I'm, I'm, I'm faithful to my church. I've been baptized. You know, I'm, I'm really growing in my faith. And I just wanted to apologize for all the abuse I gave you. It really, really convicted me. You, you know, you kept saying the truth and I kept trying to fight it. And, and I eventually repented. Right. Awesome. Best email ever. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, if I wasn't going out or, you know, on a weekly basis to Union Square, would I get that letter? Nope. You know, I, w- when I sit there and I go to the mall in the winters and I'd go to the mall every weekend or almost every weekend to evangelize, we'd set up a table and we, we, they limited us to once a month. So we went in under striving fraternity. We went in under my church at the time that I was pastoring, went under a friend's church. So, so we, we had enough guys that were at different churches that we had group organizations. So we could be there every week, pretty much, you know, we had teenagers that we'd have witnessed to week in and week out and they'd laugh and they would joke. And then one of their friends died eating a piece of popcorn. He choked to death. And we got there on Saturday evening and a group of about 20 teenagers come up to us and go, we've been waiting for you guys. You weren't here last week. You weren't here yesterday. We've been waiting for you guys. We want to know what happens after we die. And I'm like, okay, you know, what, what, what brought on the change? They were in school and they have all these, you know, counselors, giving them grief counseling. And this is what the one kid said. He said, we're, you know, our friend died and they're giving us all these grief counselors, but these grief counselors aren't telling us the truth. You guys know what happens after we die. What happens? We need to know. Now, would that have happened if we weren't out there on a regular basis? Enduring them laughing and joking and making fun of us. But guess what? When they wanted answers, They knew who had the truth. Why? Because we never backed down from it. When they would say, well, I don't believe in God, we would just say, yes, you do. God says so. We never backed down from the truth. So they knew the difference between what we were saying and what these grief counselors were saying. And the interesting thing, they were ignoring the grief counselors because they knew it wasn't true. They came to us because they knew what we said was true and they wanted to know the truth. Awesome. Yeah. Now, again, that wouldn't happen had we done like more of an evidential approach. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Because it would just be who's got better evidence. And they'd say, well, the grief counselor has better evidence than you then. But because we spoke with the authority that God is true, you know that he exists. You know that he's spoken. When they wanted truth, they came to us. They were looking for us. You know? That's the thing I think that presuppositional apologetics gives the advantage over the others because it's biblical. One, two, you don't have to be super smart and memorize lots of things to do it. You just have to study your Bible and and just use that. Just take what you learn. And when people, people make an argument, go, well, I don't know. I'll go study it. See what God says on it. No, No pressure. But what we don't want to do is say, oh, let me, let me set you up as judge and you can judge whether God exists or not. No, 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 no. So, so this is, so 
I, I'm talking with a young man. I was in uh, Indianapolis this past week at at uh, at a conference, speaking at a, a regional conference for uh, Operation Save America, and I mentioned I'm in town, and this mother contacts me, uh, you know, on Facebook. Don't know her, you know. She sends me a, a message and says, "Listen, uh, my son just came out as a theist. He he says he's not a Christian anymore. Just just weeks ago, he's in college. He's 18 years old, and he's he's come out as a, as a theist. We we don't know how to answer his questions. Would you be willing to meet with him? He grew up watching you on Apologetics Live, watching you, and respects you. And you know, I was like, okay, you know, sure, I'll I'll spend time with him. I asked the you know, organizer of the conference, can I, can I take some time out to do this? And they were like, yeah, go, you know, the pastor who I was staying with gave me a car. And so I met with this young man and he's asking all kinds of Phil's, I mean, a really smart kid. He's mm-hmm. asking all these philosophical questions and I'm, you know, I'm answering them. He's asking some scientific questions. I'm answering them. And I keep saying to him, you don't have an evidence issue. You have a, a, a sin issue. You need to repent. But I'm still going to answer the questions he's asking. I'm going to sure. be respectful. I'm spent like five, six hours with him. And, and so I'm answering the questions and I'm keep pointing them back. And, and I said this, you know, I said to him, Isaiah, listen, you know, God exists. God says so. And, and he, he believes in God. He's saying he's theistic. Yeah. He goes, you know, I said, so, you know, God has spoken. He goes, yeah, but how do I know Christianity is right? Okay. Now, from scripture, right? So I said, well, God has spoken. He's told us what's right. So now, can I use evidence to show what would happen in, in when God has spoken? Yes. So I said to him, and this is in the, this is now this, what I'll give you is in the back of my book, what do they believe? Because I never expected that to be used for evangelism, but I call this the uniqueness of Christianity. And so what makes Christianity unique is this. There's three elements that make Christianity unique, and these are essential because it's how we get right with God. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says God did it all. We have, there's no human effort. In Islam, it's one good deed outweighs 10 bad. In rabbinic Judaism, which we have today, it says doing Torah, obeying the law. In Catholicism, it's it's faith plus works. In Hinduism, Buddhism, it's do do good deeds in this life, you'll come back better in the next life, in the next one, in the next one. So every one of them, every human religion has human effort in it because man praise their, praises their own works. Right. So any, any religion that has any element of human works is false because a true religion, God would do it all. Yep. But it's also that it's the only religion not that's not a moral system. See, when, when it's human works, it's, it's just morality. That's why all religions look similar. But Christianity is not about morality. It's about a person, a very special person, one that's fully God or truly God and truly man. And being truly God and truly man, he can pay an eternal fine for all people being God because he's an eternal being. That's how he could pay that. Becoming a man, he could be a substitute for, for human beings. That leads into the third thing. And that is that only in Christianity can you have a God that's both just and merciful. See, in, in religions, they'll say, like in, in Islam, Allah most merciful, but he can't be just. Because justice and mercy are mutually exclusive. In other words, if the law says, Andy, that if I slap you, you must slap me back, you're faced with one a decision. You can slap me. If, you, if the law says you have to slap me just as hard, you can slap me just as hard 
and that would be justice. You cannot slap me at all. That would be mercy. But if you slap me lightly, it's neither. It's not justice nor mercy. And so only in Christianity can you have a being that paid the full weight of sin. The eternal fine was paid on him because he is an eternal being. That's justice. Now that it's been paid, that same being can now offer mercy. The full weight was paid. Now he can offer mercy. And so what you end up seeing is this only within Christianity that you have these elements. And so Isaiah says, so you're saying that because it's unique, it's true. I said, no, no, no. It's true, therefore it's unique. You see, what did I do? I didn't argue from the, like he was, from uniqueness to truth. That's evidential. I'm arguing from presupposition, right? It's true, therefore it's unique. The reason it's unique is because it's true. So how do you know it's the only religion, divine religion? Because it's the truth. And if it's the truth, it's going to be unique from every world religion in the most essential element, how we get right with God. And so so I can very easily argue that the fact that they know God exists, they know he has spoken, his word tells us this is what's true, and we can look at every other world religion. I can look at the evidence of every world religion and say, God says this is true, here's the uniqueness of it compared to every religion. And that's, you know, that's my, I mean, I go into more detail of it, but I have a talk that I call the uniqueness of Christianity, where I refer to just two religions in the world, divine and man-made, and all of the ones that have works are man-made. So just out of curiosity, how did the conversation with Isaiah end up? Well, it ended with me giving him some things to read. I, he he asked for you know some recommendations, and I'm going to follow up with him in a, in a few weeks. So and, listeners going to be praying for him? Yeah, his name's Isaiah, and uh, really, really good kid. You know, I told him, "Hey, you've you've been watching Apologetics Live for years. How about coming on in <laughs> and and joining? Because that's what the show is. The show is a is for anyone to come in. And and you know, let me give an appeal to to your audience. Is I was just going to um, go to promotion. We're kind of getting to where we should wrap up. And well, so, I, I was just going to whatever yeah, you want. First of all, well, and well then, I mean, it's it's on where you know because you said how do people get better at this? You know, yeah. one way they could is. If someone goes to apologeticslive.com, we have a show every most Thursdays uh, from 8 to 9 Eastern time, and you can go to apologeticslive.com and join us. And if you have a challenging question, ask us. I mean, you could come in and say, hey, I was some I was on the street and someone said this or a friend told me this. I didn't have a good answer. How can I answer? Because the purpose of that show is to help you improve in your apologetics. We do debates. What do I do in the middle of a debate or or if I have a discussion with someone, they come in and ask a question. I'll actually stop the discussion and explain to the audience why I'm asking the questions I'm asking. Because I don't want them just to observe it. It's not just for entertainment purposes. I want them seeing why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm asking those questions, what's the purpose of those things. And so I do that even in the middle of a debate. I'll do that. Um, And so that's the whole purpose of that show. Um, so yeah, if you want me to promote, I mean, that's that's one of the podcasts I do. The, my main podcast is called Andrew Rappaport's Rap Report. It's a weekly show where we're going through right now, what we're doing is going through the doctrinal statement at Striving for Eternity and explaining why we wrote it how, the way we did, what's all behind it. Uh, we just finished up Angels. And so we're going to we're going to move into uh some other so we're basically going through a systematic theology right now but we deal with other topics as well uh, i actually will have my next episode will be uh, where i was on someone else's podcast um that 
where I, we discussed Leviticus 14 and leprosy. Sounds boring. How do you apply that today? Well, actually, we could. There's a lot of ways it, it applies, and people don't think about that. They usually just avoid Leviticus altogether. Um, people can find more about me at strivingforeternity.org. They can get my books, What Do We Believe and What Do They Believe? One's a, a systematic theology of world religions. One's a systematic theology of the Christian religion. Uh, you could figure it out, right? What they believe, what we believe. But uh and so, and of course, uh, Christian podcast community, which I don't, I'm, I'm a part of, but I don't talk about it enough. So you as should, long as you're you here, should. I want, I want to use the opportunity. So the, to talk so the about Christian it. podcast community, and you could go to christianpodcastcommunity.org. We have over 50 vetted podcasts. We do not make it easier. Andy, you're, you're a friend of mine. You've been my friend for years. Yep. You still had to go through the whole, yep. the whole rigorous treatment. Yep. You know, I we had my we, lawyer look over the contract and that is not a joke. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we have, I, I had a gentleman that contacted me, he said to his wife, he, he says, I said to my wife, you know, I got, I had to do, fill out two forms and now I got an interview just to get on. I said, well, if it makes you feel any better, you're still going to have one more form and a contract you have to sign, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but we vet people. So, yeah. you know, when you get people that are on there and we reject like 70% of the podcasts, so it's tough. We don't make it easy because we want people with good content, good quality, uh, and, and good theology. And so what ends up happening there is you can have, if you listen to just the Christian podcast community RSS feed, you're going to get over 50 episodes a week and like 30 hours of content. And it's always growing. Yeah. Uh, we've hit, uh, we just recently hit, uh, 3 million downloads. And awesome. we have, we had almost 94,000 downloads last month, awesome. just shy of 94,000. And so, you know, we're, we're, we keep growing, we keep having people joining. And, uh, so it's one place you can go and we get, we get some for everyone. You get homeschooling, theology, apologetics, sermons, interviews. I mean, we have something for everybody. And so you could just go to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Um, my, my show in two weeks will be on uh, my rap report show is going to be with one of our fellow podcasters, voice of reason radio. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I end up sometimes finding out that my friends, uh, who, who, who I've been friends with for a while, didn't know they were a member. And Chris was one of those where he was a member for a while before I, I realized, Oh, Chris is in there too, huh? Yeah. And, and then you, Gene, had, you, you had Gene on and he yep. was, he's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, and that's the thing that we offer for, you know, a lot of us are just looking at, okay, we have, you know, we have fellow podcasters that, that we could do, you know, that we can interview and things like that. So that, that, that works really well, yeah. you know, for, for that. Cool. And so, yeah, strivingforeternity.org is where it is kind of the home for, for all of that. Yep. So. Cool. Well, anything else that you want to throw in before we close? Or? No, I, I, I think I, I covered that. I'd encourage people to go cool. and follow, you know, follow the podcasts, uh, Andrew Rapport's rap report and rap is with two P's and, uh, and apologize live. Those, that'd be good. And we'll put it in the show notes. This is episode 168. So equizoe.com slash 168. And uh, we'll put all that stuff in there. Yeah, and I can, and we can come. I can come to your church, and you know, we we travel and speak at churches and do weekend seminars as well. So, and we don't, you know, we don't have a, a speaking fee. So, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure uh, being on here. I I know I always look forward to December when we get to do the roundtable. I, I do too. I that's that's one of my favorites. Having a regular with Fred, and so you'll be back in uh, December. I take it. I'm always happy to come back on. Cool. 
Well, I'll talk I, to I you love then. Echo Zoe Radio. So. <laughs> we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 168. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, you can come on over to echozoe.com slash 168. Also, remember to check out Locals, echozoe.locals.com. That's L-O-C-A-L-S dot com. You can support the ministry there as well as interact with the community. And remember, Friday, April 15th, Jerusalem's King will be up at the Locals page. So come on over and see the film. And I look forward to seeing you at the community. With that said, local uh, Lord willing, we will be back next month with the May episode of Equizoi Radio. that go flat or every couple of years you they smell bad and what are you going to do with them you can't wash them because that ruins the pillow they don't stay in that same shape well my pillow is the answer get a my pillow these are premium pillows that never go flat you can wash them as many times as you want and best of all they're made right here in the USA go to mypillow.com click on the radio listeners and use promo code S FE that stands for striving for eternity or you can call 1-800-873-0176 that's 800-873-0176 and use promo code SFE